So we're looking at that First Peter chapter 1, verse 17 to verse 21. And hopefully you have an outline that says Christ, our Redeemer on top. So everything hopefully should be in order. Now, I'll start off with a question. And the question is, what is in your wallet? That, 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 that of, or what is in your purse, I guess. But the advert says, what is in your wallet? And you remember the advert, that is the advert from the famous Capital One credit card uh, advert, uh, where the Capital One asks, what is in your wallet? And of course, as we're watching, we're all looking through our pockets to see what really is in our wallet. But we just ignore the advert. Now, if you've seen the advert, the point of the advert is to remind us that our worth in life comes down to how much money we have. Or perhaps more accurately, it comes down to the credit card we are carrying. And if you are really carrying a Capital One credit card, then uh, you are on top of the world, as it were. But the advertisers, of course, know that is not really true. Uh, They know themselves that our needs in life are not fundamentally financial. Yes, you know, it's good to have a bit of money to get by, but our needs in life are fundamentally spiritual. And the reason they are fundamentally spiritual is because God created us in his own image. And as God is spirit, we are also spiritual beings. And when we live uh, in this life and we live beyond the grave, we will live beyond the grave. There is life beyond this physical life. The longer you live, you begin to discover that this life comes to an end at some point, and therefore you need to live for things beyond the grave. So the question we should really be asking is, we should be asking, what is in your wallet? What we should be asking is, what is in your spiritual wallet? What are you depending on to meet not just your financial needs, but all your needs in life? Not just now, but your needs forever. You see, we need something in our wallet that will last, as I said, beyond the grave. When we die, the pound won't help us. And even if you've stacked up a few bitcoins, that also won't be enough. Uh, Bitcoins will not be of any use beyond the grave. Well, the Bible says uh, the only currency that matters beyond the grave is the blood of Christ. Our eternity depends on whether his blood is in our wallet. So last week, uh, we began, and we are finishing this week, looking at the cross of Christ. We said the death of Christ is like a beautiful diamond. And you can look at it, and from different sides, we learn something wondrous about the death of Christ for us. And in the first sermon, we said the blood of Christ gives us what? Peace with God. And we said that one thing when we think about the cross of Christ we learn from is that Jesus is our reconciler. We were at war with God. Now God has reached out to us and, if you like, struck an everlasting peace deal with us through the blood of Christ. So the first picture we learned is Christ is our reconciler. The second sermon in the evening looked at the fact that we are not just rebels. We are defiled before God. We are unclean. We are unholy. And the blood of Christ is our sacrifice. And so we're looking at the second picture we looked at is that Christ is our sacrifice. Now, I said there are six of these pictures. 
And today we are only looking at the third picture, and then we'll take a break to look at the other three later on this year. The third picture we're looking at this evening is combines the death and resurrection of Christ. And it is that Christ is our Redeemer. Christ is our Redeemer. So look with me at verse 17 uh, of First Peter chapter 1 to see what, how, we, how the Bible teaches us this important truth. The first thing I want you to see from these verses, as we've been starting, generally we start with a need, and the first truth is that everyone needs redemption. Everyone. Mom, dad, husband, wife, the prime minister, everyone needs redemption. Notice here that Peter in verse 17 starts by reminding these followers of Jesus. He's writing to believers uh, in Asia Minor, and he starts by reminding them that they are now to live lives that fear God reverently because this world is not our home. Let's look at verse 17. And if you call on him as Father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. He's saying, look, this world is not our home. So you've got to live reverently before God. Don't live like you used to live in the past. And just in case they forget how they used to live in the past, it reminds them in verse 18, look what it says, knowing that you are ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers. This is how they were before they came to trust in Jesus. Notice how he describes how they were. He says their life was futile. It was empty, it says in, another, in some version. It was a life of sin, totally opposed to the will of God. Friends, these, were, these people were defiled before God. And we've been looking at that recently in chapter 4, isn't it? Chapter 4, verse 2 to 3 of Peter says this, So as to live the rest of your time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. And he says this, For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. Living in sensualities, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking party, and lawless adult idolatry. These are the things they used to live in. They were living a life of sin. And Peter says they were defiled before God. But notice, as if you've been with us in Peter, you realize that they were not just living in sin. They were slaves of sin. Sin was like a prison which they didn't know how to get out of. Go back to chapter 1, verse 14. Uh, it says this, we read this. It says, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. And those of you who have been with us in Peter, you remember we've been saying that the passions are almost like lusts and things that hold us captive. We can't get out of And Peter is saying, that is how they used to live. Sin almost was like a prison. They were slaves of sin. This is the description of their lifestyle before they became followers of Jesus. But it is also the true condition of every human being on the planet in our fallen natural state. And this condition points us to two things that we should always keep in our minds when it comes to understanding sin in the Bible. The Bible is clear that sin has done two things to human beings. 
The first thing that sin has done is that it has inflicted a huge penalty against us before God. A huge penalty. A debt we can't even repay. And the penalty it has inflicted on us is death. Romans 6 verse 23 says what? The wages of sin is what? Death. So for all of our sin, what we have got in return is death. This is death is what we all got. Now let's be clear that when the Bible says death, it's not only referring to physical death. The physical death we see actually is a visible manifestation of an internal death. You see, sin has left us not only physically dead, we die physically, it has left us eternally and spiritually dead. In other words, what sin has done is that it has totally cut us from God, who is a source not just of physical life, but of all life. We are all zombies, so to speak. We look alive, but we are Dead, physically, spiritually, eternally. That's the first thing sin has done to us. It's given us a penalty of death. The second thing sin has done to us, and we don't always emphasize this, but Peter helps us and Paul does, is that sin has placed us under its power. So you've got two P's there, penalty and power. Sin is not just an action. It's not just things we do. It is a slave master. Romans 6 verse 16 says this. Do you not know that if you present yourself to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? Our Lord Jesus, our Master and Savior, said this in John 8, verse 34. Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I said to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. (coughs) Sin is a tyrannical slave master. Now, the pop star Lady Gaga, Stefan Gamota is her real name, says in one of her songs, uh, she says this, I just want to be free. I just want to be me. I don't want to change. I don't want to be ashamed. What she's saying is that she sees living as she wants to, living in sin, as freedom. The world sees engaging in sin as freedom. But the Bible says, no, living in sin is not freedom. You may be choosing a part of sin and you may think that is you living freely. But the Bible says, no, that is slavery. The Bible says sin is like a great snake, we might say, like a, a python or anaconda. That's how the Bible presents sin. It's like, a, you know, it's like a snake, like an anaconda snake. It has wrapped itself around us and slowly entangles and strangles us every day. And no matter how much, in fact, like a snake, you know, the more we try and fight against sin in our own flesh, the more it just entangles and stifles life out of us. That's how much power sin holds over us. Two important points always remember our sin. Penalty and power. And all of us here in this room know the power of sin. We see its power in how it has trapped people all around us in sexual perversions and addictions. 
We see it with celebrities. You mentioned today Ant and Dad. I mean, what's happened to Ant? Money doesn't prevent you from being under the power of sin. We see it in all the headlines around us, in newspapers we read of, of the way sin works. We see it, its power in unbelievers who reject Christ. Why is it every day we can speak to people about Christ and urge them to repent and they won't? It's not because they don't know the penalty of sin. It's because this anaconda of sin, so to speak, has strangled them. They cannot even breathe spiritually. And of course we see it in our own lives, isn't it? How, I see it certainly in my own life, or how easy it is for me to rationalize sin, manage my failures, refusal to love as I should, and not always be as forgiving as I should. And I'm sure you see it in your own lives as well. The uncontrolled anger, the lust, the gossip. Sin is an enslaving power. And the power of sin, of course, is demonstrated powerfully by its capacity to literally kill people. Sin kills. I think you reminded us of that this morning. It does that. It sends people to hell. Do you know how sin does? Sin sends people to hell. How does it do that? Because sin has introduced death into the world. When sin entered, death, physical death also followed. Of course, and the the eternal death as well, but physical death followed. Satan uses sin as a recruiting agent for people in hell. So the ultimate power of sin, actually, when all this is said and done, is the physical death. I hope you're seeing some important things here. Uh, I'm explaining here. First of all, the fact that sin, sin's power is death itself, but sin's penalty is also death. In other words, all human beings are under death, total, as a penalty and as a power in the end. And therefore, we desperately need rescue uh, from the penalty and power of sin. We can't do it on our own. What we need is redemption. And redemption means to be ransomed, to be purchased, or to be delivered, or to be freed from our slavery to sin. We, we cannot redeem ourselves. We are like trapped in this prison. Do you remember the Tapping family, the American family, that the story broke out at the beginning of the year, who had 13 children handcuffed to the beds with padlocks and everything? Well, that's a human condition. And these kids needed help. And we cannot free ourselves from our slavery to sin. We need help from outside. And the good news of Easter, the good news of Jesus, is that Christ, by his death, redeems us back to God. And this is our second truth we learn in these verses. The first truth is that everybody needs redemption. And here's the good news. The death of Christ is our redemption. The death of Christ is our redemption. The Bible says that God sent his son, the Lord Jesus, to to come to free us from this slavery of sin. How did Jesus do it? By paying a ransom for our freedom. Let's look at verse 18 uh, to verse 19. Knowing that you are ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers. How? Not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. 
You know, these followers of Jesus in Asia Minor, the original recipient of this letter, they were familiar with the culture of redeeming slaves. At this time, slaves were redeemed at the market and they were usually exchanged at the market by paying silver or gold. That's why the slaves were set free. But Peter is saying to them, look, you were slaves like that, but Christ has come to the slave block of sin. He has come like the prophet Hosea did with his wife Goma. Do you remember prophet Hosea? Uh, with his prostitute wife Goma. Hosea had to repeatedly go back and redeem this woman from the slave block. Well, Peter is saying that's what Jesus has done. Jesus has come to our helpless, hopeless condition. And he has bought us out. He has bought us not with gold or silver or the British pound. No. He has bought us with a currency traded in heaven, the blood of Christ. Let's look at verse 19 again. But with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Now we saw last Sunday that in order for us to be accepted back by God, to be ransomed back, so to speak, blood has to be shed. We are under eternal death and the only way we'll be rescued from our death is for someone to die. And Christ has come as someone perfect, not just perfect, but he's also got infinite value. Because his blood has been perfumed by God because he's fully God and fully man. And he has voluntarily given himself on the cross. And he has paid the ransom price to God. He has died for you and I. He has set us free by his blood. You see, by human standards, the death of Christ was disgraceful. It was the most wretched of death. But to God and to all who trust in Jesus, his death is our precious ransom. We are held hostage and Christ's blood is the payment that he gave to God to free us. Let us make it clear, by the way, an important point here, which is that the blood of Christ was not paid to the devil. No. It was paid to God. Because the debt we hold of death was to God. The wages of sin is death. And Christ comes and pays by his death for us to God. And God accepts the payment for our sin. A precious ransom. Oh friends, what a wonderful thing the blood of Jesus is. It is not like the British pound that wobbled during Brexit and is still wobbling now. No, the blood of Christ that has been shed for sinners never changes its value for all eternity. You see, the same blood that set that dying thief on the cross free is the same blood of Jesus that flows for your sin and mine. The blood of Christ buys the young and the old, the drug addict and the teetotal, the cannibal and the vegetarian, the British and the Russian, it is able to purchase anyone. And that is why there is nothing like the blood that drops from Christ, our Redeemer. And there is no religion or idea that offers anything like Jesus. Friends, where are you going to find such a Redeemer? 
Where are you going to find a God who seeks out sinners in all their ugliness to pay the price for them? Some of you on cars here, you never even pay 10 pounds for a banger. You wouldn't. Why would you waste your money on a used up car? You wouldn't do that. But you are worse before God than a banger. And yet Christ offers to redeem you by his very life. Oh, friends, here is a redeemer who saw us lying in the empty hall of sin under the anaconda grip of sin. And Jesus has reached out to us with his nailed hands to completely set us free, lift us up from that miry bog of sin. He's done it out of love for us. And by his blood, we've been set free. Christ sets sinners free by his blood. But how can we be sure Christ really sets sinners free? Well, because God has raised Christ from the dead. That's the answer. Because God has raised Christ from the dead. That's how we can be sure. And that is our third and final observation. Point number one, everybody needs redemption. How do we get this redemption? The death of Christ is our redemption. How can we be confident that Christ really redeems us? Well, because the resurrection of Christ proves it. We might say, as Brother Fred reminded us this morning, the resurrection of Christ from the dead is indeed the Christian hope, isn't it? If Christ is dead, then our faith is phony, to be blunt. 1 Corinthians, which Brother Fred read, let me just remind you of what he said there. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 16 to 19, he said this, For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. Interesting choice of word there, given how Peter himself uses the word futile. But your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. He's saying if Christ is still in the tomb, if he's already buried there, guys, this is a waste of time. It's a waste of time. But Christ hasn't been buried there. And that's why Peter immediately says Christ has not just died, but he has been raised from the dead according to the eternal plan of God. Look at this 20 to 21 uh, of chapter, 1 Peter chapter 1. He says this, He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last time for the sake of you who through him, that is Christ, are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Uh, Let's just to quickly summarize those verses. What Peter is saying is that the death of Christ was not an accident, it was an appointment. And it wasn't just an appointment that God created when Christ was born. It was an appointment that was put into place before the ages began. It was foreknown before the foundation of the world. Christ comes into this world crucified. He's born crucified. He comes into this world to die for you on the cross. Not just to die, but also to rise from death. And God has raised Christ from death. 
isn't it? Verse 21 tells us, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory. The resurrection proves that the death of Christ paid fully the ransom price for the penalty or the penalty for sin. Huh? No, 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 no. I've just told you what people are saying, but I've not explained how it does that. How does the death of Christ prove our redemption? At this point, I'm hoping you're following me on my first point. Because remember what we said at the beginning. What are the two problems of sin? The first problem that sin has done what? Inflicted a penalty, yeah? And the second problem is that it has placed us under its power. The penalty of death, the penalty is death, right? That's what I said. And Jesus has already paid for this. How has he done that? He's paid for it on the cross, right? So on the cross, Jesus has met the penalty. We might say, job done, praise the Lord, yeah? So the one part of sin has been dealt with on the cross. But it leaves another problem, the power of sin. Sorting out the power of sin is more tricky. Sin has infected us and all of us and kills us physically. So to conquer the power of sin, Christ has to do two things. He himself has to live a perfect life because by living a perfect life, he has defeated sin as a man and Jesus has done that. But more than that, Jesus has to get rid of physical death. He has to prove to us that he has defeated the power of death itself. That means Jesus has to die. He has to meet death in combat. And then he has to trust God to raise him from the dead. Because if Jesus died and ended up in that tomb and God doesn't raise him, then death has won. Yes, he lived a perfect life. Yes, he defeated sin, but he couldn't defeat all of its power. And we see in Peter that God has raised Christ from the dead. Who through him raised him from the dead and gave him glory. We see here that this is the greatest news ever. Christ is risen. Sin's penalty has been fully paid on the cross. And sin's power to its uttermost has been fully defeated. Because Christ has risen from the dead. The resurrection proves that all who trust in Jesus have been freed from the power of sin, totally redeemed by the blood of Christ. Such wisdom from God, isn't it? The wisdom of the cross is amazing. Are you trusting in Jesus this evening? Then let this truth remind you of how gloriously wonderful God in Christ is. Oh, friends, sometimes you forget that you do not deserve this God. You forget you do not deserve Christ. You are prone to forget the deadly anaconda of sin. You are prone to forget that you are under the power of sin. You forget that you deserve to remain in your slavery, under the full wrath of God. But the amazing thing, the amazing thing is that God in Christ, Christ our Redeemer, He has come. He has come. And He has taken on death and defeated it. And He has freed you from the chains of death. The penalty of sin met, the power of sin broken. 
And the grace of God now flows richly to you in Christ. The secret wisdom of the cross on full display again. And notice how your your marvelous God has done it. Christ took on the full wrath. God remained just. And yet, even within that justice, grace flowed to you. Are you struggling with illness or loneliness? Is there a feeling of God being distant to you at the moment? Is your mind clouded with worry about the future? Friends, if you are trusting in Christ, be encouraged. Because your redemption in Christ, which Christ our Redeemer has brought to you, means God has actually purchased you with his own blood. I don't know the last time you were in the shop. But when you went in the shop, whether it's M&S or Sainsbury's, you took out your card and you purchased that good, isn't it? Or your groceries. Did you leave them there? What did you do with them? You brought them home. And the redemption we have in Christ is the same. Christ has purchased us to own us, to take us home with him. We now belong to him. He has not left you on the counter. Oh, friends, you are like boars with Ruth. Christ has spread his cloak over you. And in whatever situation, you are now his. So do not despair. Go to him with your worries. Your kinsman redeemer, you belong to him now. Don't let your struggle with sin keep you from him. We need to hear that. You know, don't let your struggles with sin keep you from your Redeemer. Because I know that when I know that Christ has redeemed me, sometimes I don't go to Him. I know the truth that Christ has redeemed me, yeah. But I feel sometimes my sin keeps me from Him. But friend, this truth reminds us Christ is not the Redeemer of the perfect. Oh, friends, he came for people gripped by the anaconda of sin. He came for people who couldn't free themselves. He has not come for the righteous. He has come for sinners. He has come to redeem sinners and make them his very own. So even in your struggle in sin, if you are trusting in Christ, you are still his. I think we need to preach this to ourselves all the time. We need to remember this truth. You know why? Because the devil uses our sin... To make us feel we cannot go to God. That's what the devil does. The devil tempts you with sin. And then he uses the guilt of sin to stop you approaching God. The wonderful Robert Murray McShane says this. When I have sinned, I feel an immediate reluctance to go to Christ. I am ashamed to go. I feel as if it would do me no good. As if I am making Christ a minister of sin. To go straight from the swine trough to the best robe. And a thousand other excuses. But I am persuaded they are all lies. Direct from hell. And he is right. Of course he is right. He's is But he is right. He is right specifically that if you are in Christ our Redeemer, you are now his precious possession. So come as you are. Don't let sin keep you away from Christ. 
God will help you overcome your sin. And by His grace, you will find relief in all areas you need. In accordance with His sovereign will and purpose, God will act. If you're trusting in Christ, know your Redeemer has set you free. When life looks unbearable, remember what is in your spiritual wallet. It is the precious blood of our Redeemer. Are you currently facing temptations? Perhaps you are facing temptation to make Christ sort of second to other priorities in life. Is Christ becoming more of an hobby than a passion? Yes, once you gloried in Christ the Redeemer, but now other priorities take shape in your life. What well, Peter is saying to you this evening, stop looking elsewhere. Stop it, he says. Where are you going to find the hope against the penalty and power of sin? Where are you going to find safety against Satan and death? Where are you going to find the currency that heaven accepts when you die? Stick with Christ, our Redeemer. Rest your faith and hope in Him. Christ holds the world and He holds you too in Him. So hold on to Christ. When life turns against us, when the world's offers seem tempting, do not forget what is in your spiritual wallet. What is there? The precious blood of Christ. And the message this evening, the message we've been learning is that if you have truly surrendered to Christ, He has purchased you, ransomed you, freed you by His blood. You are not just anyone. If you are in Christ, you are His possession. May God help us to look to Christ.